This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Sona, how's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed okay. and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Hi, my name is Alan Yang. And I feel like I'm weirdly fulfilling a childhood dream thing about being Conan Bryan's friend. That's how I feel right now. This was something that was prophesized. It, it, it's you just, met an old man on a bridge and he said, one day. It was a troll and it was underneath it. a bridge. <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell. Brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there, I'm Conan O'Brien. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Uh, we have a terrific episode for you today. And uh, as always, I'm joined by Matt Gorley, our fearless producer. Hey, Matt. Hi, boss. That's nice of you to call me boss to show, to acknowledge my uh, my alpha status. Well, you get one of those a year. <laughs> As opposed to the hey shithead. <laughs> you get uh, 50 of those a I year. I get 50 of those a year. And of course, yeah. uh, filling in uh, for Sona, uh, who's uh, off minding, she calls them the two little gentlemen. Those are <laughs> Mikey and Charlie, her twins. She says, they're my little gentlemen, uh, which is a very nice way to uh, to describe two infants that are just shrieking mm -hmm. and pooping all over the place. That's all they're doing. Uh, speaking of shrieking and pooping, uh, here is, oh. well, I'm sorry, you do both. Um, okay. David Hopping. Hi. You're doing a great job, David. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you really do. Just as we were starting, I was about to tell the group that I saw this great documentary last night on the uh, the painter who used to be on PBS and he would paint portraits. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you're a very young fellow, David. I don't know if you're aware of him, Bob Ross. Yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you see this documentary, Matt? Yes, I sure did. I'm a huge fan of Bob Ross, not only as an artist, but just like someone to put on in the background when I need to like calm anxiety. He's just yeah. like, yeah, he's incredible. It's a, it's actually, it's a really great documentary uh, about Bob Ross. I never knew the whole story, but uh, it's all about where he came from, how this guy came to be just painting landscape portraits on, uh, on television and how it went on for years and years and years. And he just became incredibly successful. But of course, the part of the documentary that's kind of tragic is how he was exploited by these people around him. And uh, this this husband and wife team ex- sort of exploited him and you know got his name and likeness and they got the rights to all of it. And uh, they really screwed him over and screwed over his family. And it's just a very powerful documentary. And it just got me thinking, what if this happens to me? Oh, because I was watching it, and you know how you have this tendency, Matt. Whenever I look at anything, I immediately make it about me. Yeah, I do know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's sort of that's called pulling a Conan. So I'm watching this, and I'm watching this really sweet, just font of creativity and talent. That's where your theory falls apart, though, I think. Excuse me. What? Sorry. I'm not done yet. Let me just get through this before you start with Uh, your zings and your barbs and your har-hars, okay? okay. Uh, I saw Bob Ross was well-known as being just this incredibly talented guy and just a magnetic, you know, once-in-a-century talent, and he's on television, and people love him, and he's very sweet, and all he cares about is the work. Sound familiar, Matt? All he cares about is making a good podcast or a good late night show. I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm not talking about Bob now. But all he cares about is putting out quality and connecting with people and being real and spreading his infectious joy and connecting people to his God-given talent and bringing the people of earth closer together. But then these people come along and say, hey, we could monetize this, oh, you know? So who are you getting at? Well, I'm just saying, it's something I worry about, but you know, our podcast guru, Adam Sachs, I don't even know if he's here. Is he <laughs> he's, here? Is he's he here, here at all? He's here. I'm always no, here. He, oh my God! <laughs> For God's sake, announce yourself if you're here. He's right behind <laughs> you. Oh my God! He's in the apartment with you. He's calling from inside the podcast. Adam, I'm just going to ask you right off, have you been secretly conspiring to get full rights to my my face, likeness, and vocal characteristics? Yes or no? No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> Spoken like someone who was doing exactly that. Like two weeks ago, it was very late at night and Adam showed up at my house and he said, quick, sign these papers. <laughs> now, Adam knows I start drinking at around 7 p.m. That, uh, that's true. You start drinking and wielding an ink pen around in the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's one of my affectations when I've been drinking a lot is I get a Mont Blanc pen and I wave it around and I say, I'll sign anything. Sign anything I will. Ding dong. It's 11 o'clock at night. My wife says, who could that be? I open the door and it's Adam with all these papers. And um, I didn't see much. I saw name, likeness, ownership for all of eternity, something like that. And then I just start signing stuff. And I said, what is this stuff, Adam? And Adam said, don't you worry. Don't you worry. Sleep. Sleep. So I did. I went to sleep. So anyway, then I see the Bob Ross documentary and I start to worry. Now, Adam, I don't know what's going on, but I just beg you, please, if you're conspiring to destroy me, 
because I'm up there. I, I'm not. No, I'm not conspiring. I'm, I I think it's my job to protect you. That's what that's what I'm doing is protecting oh, you. That's oh, nice. that's nice. man. Oh, oh wow. man. That's what the people I say. And the talent <laughs> like a godfather protects small businesses. <laughs> All Adam ever says to me is, don't you worry, I'll protect you. And I'll say, well, just tell me what's going on. He goes, sleep, <laughs> sleep. And a lot of the time it's like when he's saying that to me, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. And we're standing in a brightly lit parking lot in Los Angeles. And I'm like, sleep? What are you? And he just goes, sleep. Is he petting you? No, he has this. <laughs> it's weird. He takes out what I thought at first was a watch fob, but it's just a little medallion. And he, he swings it like a pendulum in front of me. And he says, sleep. And I always wake up like three hours later. Just wherever you are. And there's ink all over my hands because I guess I've been signing <laughs> like sign crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I can't wait for this documentary. <laughs> I want to pitch this as a documentary of a, and a documentary that will just infuriate people because it'll be presenting me as in this way that people don't see me. <laughs> Adam, like, why don't you make it? You have his rights. <laughs> and you're loaded now. <laughs> this will be my first project. Yeah, this will be your first project is uh, the destruction of Conan O'Brien. A beloved national treasure. Immediately, reviewers like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it goes straight to some unknown streaming service. Yeah, it goes. Yeah, and then sell it. Sell it to a streaming service that may not even exist. CISO <laughs> coming soon on CISO. The destruction of Conan O'Brien. Wait, so how will you ever know if Adam has given up or ceased control of your name and likeness? Uh, you know what? I go by sitcom logic. If you watch any sitcom from the 60s or 70s, the minute a character comes into money, any money, that character immediately enters the set wearing the same thing every time, which is a yachting cap and a blue blazer. That was the 1960s. And they always say things like, well, I know such and such a character just came into a lot of money, but he saw it as a rock. It won't change him. And just then they go, hello. <laughs> it's yachting cap and blue blazer. So I'm always looking. And that goes for like all the way through all the sitcoms in the 70s and 80s. Yachting cap, blue blazer. That's when you know people uh, have have come into a fortune. So I've got my eyes peeled. I don't have an accountant. Uh, I don't do any forensics uh, on the books here at, uh, at at Team Coco. I just look for any employee who's wearing a yachting cap and a blue blazer and suddenly talking in a very cocky accent like Thurston Howell III. That's how well know. All right, well, I'm very excited. Uh, my guest today is an Emmy award-winning writer, director, and producer who has worked on such shows as Parks and Recreation, The Good Place, and Master of None. Uh, now he's hosting a new podcast with Rob Lowe right here on the Team Coco Podcast Network. It's called Parks and Recollection, and it is the definitive Parks and Recreation rewatch podcast. It premieres tomorrow, September 14th, and the trailer is already up. So check it out and subscribe now so you don't miss the premiere episode. I am very excited uh, to talk to this gentleman today. Uh, he is very talented. Alan Yang, welcome. You 
were interested in comedy at a very early age, right? Yeah, it's a thing where again, this is this is just we were talking about David Letterman earlier. For me, you were like Letterman because I didn't watch Letterman, so I just that was comedy. It was to me, it was The Simpsons. SNL, Seinfeld, and 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 Conan was late night to me. So oh. that, this is a weird thing for me. Well, uh, that's very cool of you to say. Um, and uh, we're just going to put that on the loop, <laughs> if you don't mind. We're just going to put that over uh, and over and over again. Truly, it's more of a function of my age. It's, it's not like I like you better than Letterman. I just didn't exactly. Watch it. It's really just my age. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You just weren't alive uh, when Dave was hitting it out of the park. That's all. I'll, I'll start, first of all, by congratulating you on, on the podcast uh, you're doing with with Mr. Rob Lowe, and it's called Parks and Recollection. This is a show that I'm very excited about. Yes, full disclosure, it's part of our Team Coco uh, empire, if you will. But you guys talking about that show, which I really admire, which you uh, wrote on, and so you have all this access to how it was put together, as does Rob from a different angle. Sounds like a very cool project. Yeah, and it has no, you producing has nothing to do with me being here. Zero. Just oh, not at zero. all. Just. I had. You know, what, here, let me tell you something, um, Alan. I'm at a point in my career uh, where I don't even know what I'm involved in anymore. <laughs> So, it's an empire. It's an empire. It's, it's, it's Shondaland, you, you know. No, it really is. Like, it really is. I am, and so there are there are times where people remind me, hey, Conan, you have a big part of ExxonMobil. Right. Like you're a major stockholder. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know. And that's when you encourage them to just forget safety precautions, send the boats out there, no matter what the weather conditions are, just. Hey, they're getting paid. <laughs> the last time I checked, they were getting uh, money. And I say, if there's a rough seas uh, in the North Atlantic, get out there and get the oil. That's what I say to them. <laughs> Who cares um, where the icebergs are? No, but <laughs> the, the, the podcast. No, the podcast has been really fun. We just started recording it, and, and uh, God, at, at first, to be honest, I was like, I don't know if I want to watch all these episodes again. <laughs> it's a lot of time. Well, let's let's bring people up to date. Yeah, you, yeah. you worked for. Were you there the entire time? I at was Parks there and Rec? for 125 episodes, as far as writers go. Mike Sure, the co-creator, and me, I think we're the only ones who were there the whole time. So, right. Yeah. So. And so um, you were there at that show. And I remembered, uh, I'm obviously very good friends with Greg Daniels, who, uh, who was responsible for bringing The Office uh, to the United States. And then, of course, uh, you know, had a hand in, in getting Parks and Rec going. And so uh, I was very familiar with both shows. And I remember The Office had kind of a slow start initially- and then took off. Parks and Rec, it didn't happen right away for Parks and Rec. It's still taking off now. It's 2021, I think, you know, it, it, it was though. Season one, it was, it was definitely almost an identical trajectory to The Office. And right. I think for similar reasons, because if you look at The Office, what Greg did with The Office, again, a brilliant show, he's adapting it from a British one. And right. so the, the, the first season's a little bit closer to the British one. And then the second season kind of sprouts its wings and f- and flies on its own and becomes its own thing. And Parks and Rec started as was conceived at first was maybe going to be an office spinoff, and then it wasn't. And so that first season, I think Mike and Greg were still trying to work out kinks and trying to feel okay how different from the office tonally, et cetera. Right. And then second season, it really starts taking off, and part of that was taking on Amy Poehler's personality as well, and 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 making use of her. So a really good TV show, in my opinion is not a finite thing, it's an organism. The shows I've always really loved, if you look at The Simpsons, for example, you can look at the first season and Dan Castellaneta does not have Homer's voice yet. 
Yeah. His way into Homer was he sort of thought of his voice as being a Walter Matthau kind of voice. And you can listen to that first year of The Simpsons. And it's a lot of boy. Yeah, it's a now, lot of boy. Boy, <laughs> get here, boy. Now you listen to me. And then it it changes. And then they find it. And I think shows like a lot of things, and probably like a restaurant or you know, so many endeavors, you need to figure it out. You need to, you find it by doing it. And I think people sometimes misunderstand and think uh, it's a widget. It's something that's manufactured and you're cranking them out and you do 22 and then the next 22. The only way you really know what your show is, is by doing it. My late night shows were constantly uh, changing and morphing and often sometimes not by design. It was just sheer desperation we don't have anything today, I know, let's, what if a bear masturbated? Uh, And then suddenly you're off on that and you've hit what many call a renaissance. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Of the form of television, of of television in general. Well, just as far as masturbation humor goes, I think quite fairly a renaissance. But but yeah, it's it's fascinating to me that these things, and evolve and uh, it's it was not all assigned on day one. It's fascinating. It's exactly what you said, which is, and you lived on the long end of this, right? You're doing a daily show, a show right. every, you can really react to what the audiences think, you know, how they're right. reacting, right. what you're like as a host, what Andy's doing, whatever, all of that stuff, you can react. It's a read and react type thing. And so with a show like Parks, they don't make that shows that run that long anymore. So, right. you know, we we went on to do Master of None. It's been six years. We've done 25 episodes of Master. You know, it's like, it's right. so crazy. Aziz, yeah. Aziz is now, I, I I tuned in the other day, he's 65 years old. Yeah, yeah. it just uh, keeps And he, going. he's on his third hip. Yeah. Uh, yes, that kind of television where you're just cranking it out every day and going through uh, massive arcs, sort of creative arcs over three month periods. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, uh, and and you know people saw it or they didn't. There was no checking it out later on online. Now when you go back and watch it, and for a lot of people for the first time, they say, "Wait a minute, there's something going on here." And I think that's what's happened with Parks and Rec is that it's enjoyed uh, a renaissance. I'm friends with Nick Offerman, and he said the same thing. Like this is this is fascinating that people are finding the show now. Uh, and we, it's been, what has it been, 10 years since you guys made one? Yeah, and it's a fun as hell rewatch. That's what I'm realizing while rewatching it. it it's almost perfectly designed for right now, 2020, 2021, the darkest time yes. in a long time where right. everyone's indoors. You're looking for something warm, something heartfelt, something comforting. It's a great rewatch. I'm, I'm sound, I sound like an NBC executive right now, but, but literally like while watching oh, it, it, it's- Yeah, it, it, I it, was going into uh, <laughs> night terrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just for <laughs> <laughs> something, I, I smell sulfur in the room. Uh, there are people like Nick Offerman, as good as he is, um, there's going to be part of him that's always Ron Swanson because the show was so written towards him. Yes. I, knew, I knew Nick before he did- Parks and Rec, and I had once gone on a bicycle ride with Nick and his chain exploded while we were riding, and this was in Seattle, long story, but and I didn't even know him. He wasn't a famous actor. He was still a couple of years away from doing Parks and Rec, and he went and he found a stone and said, well, hang on now, I have to rebuild this chain using a stone, and I watched him forge a new chain using stones. Come on. I'm not, I'm not kidding, and he made the, he fixed the chaining, and he went, well, there you go, off we are now. There you go. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and with his mustache, and I thought, um, this is unbelievable, 
what an unbelievable character. It's like if Theodore Roosevelt came back yeah. to life because he's so self-reliant, so self-sufficient. And then you guys wrote well, you to did. you wrote to him, which Conan, was fantastic. The bike is faster now. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's better than it was. before. I just made it into an electric bike. Yeah. I, I found some carbon, <laughs> and I was able to make a crude but effective battery. It also uh, purifies water as yes. we go. So yes, would you like some fresh water made from my urine, <laughs> but now free of all nitrogen? But I was actually going to mention something very similar, which is you go back and rewatch that show. And you see Nick Offerman as Ron Swanson. You right. see Amy Poehler. You see Aziz. You see Aubrey Plaza. You see Chris Pratt. You see right. Rashida. You see Rob Lowe. You see Adam Scott. I think every one of those actors has gone on to lead their own show or star in movies or both. Yes. And, and that a, is extraordinary. It's, it's extraordinary. A fan, it's a fantastic uh, yeah. cast. What cracks me up uh, is, of course, Rob Lowe. I know you're doing this podcast with Rob Lowe. And I always have my, – my, I'm very different from Rob Lowe. How so? Well, let me explain. <laughs> I have what you'd call a normal person's bone structure uh-huh. and face. Uh-huh. Uh, it's rotting as I age. Um, uh, I have things about me that don't look so good. Uh, you know, beady eyes, thin lips, a massive prominent eye vein, uh, a pallid complexion. And then there's Rob Lowe, and it's hilarious. He's been the most handsome man in the world forever. And I remember talking to him once and I made some just sort of offhanded remark about, I just imagine you, Rob, reaching into your pocket and being able to pull out a small vials of creams and oils that you rub into your skin constantly. And he looked at me with that great Rob Lowe deadpan, reached into his pocket and pulled out a vial of creams. Yes. Squeezed them out and then applied them under his eyes. And he went, "Uh, it's actually my own brand. You might like to check it out, Conan. Uh, (laughs) And of course it wouldn't work on me. My head would just catch fire, but- Rob Lowe is not like you or I. He is a different species altogether. He exists outside of time and space. I was doing a photo shoot yesterday for just for this podcast, and the, his photos were done. I was like, uh, he, I'm I'm a little younger than Rob, but I'm like, God damn it! Like, why does he look better? There's no way you're ever going to look like that. There's just no way. So you know, you you accept it. You're like, this is a movie star. This is a guy who looks like a movie star. God bless. But also, you know, in terms of the pod and like knowing him as a guy, it's very. It's just interesting, similar to just even talking to you where, you know, Rob Lowe was in movies, right? When, right. when I was a kid and, and you don't ever expect to meet someone like that, but he is so funny on the podcast because he's genuinely excited and enthusiastic, much like his character in the show is, about everything. And by the way, he's not in a lot of the episodes to start and then he, he starts joining the show in season two. So but- is his commentary when he's not in the episode – this could sure use some Rob Lowe. Uh, I mean, he, <laughs> he's like, you know what? There's a lot of handsome guys in the show. Could use a little more. Could use a little bit more. You know what this show, show is missing? Rob Lowe. Um, because you worked pretty closely with Rob, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think he says he remembers the first time he came to set, Mike assigned me to take him around and like give him a tour of the set. And I think he kind of took a liking to me and like we exchanged info and he would call me sometimes. So yeah, you know. What if he mistook you for his, he just thought like, well, I guess you're my personal assistant. Well, here we go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You got to drive me to work. He's like, why isn't Alan outside my house in Santa Barbara to drive me to work? (laughs) Alan, could you carry me to the men's room, please? I I don't like walking there myself. Um, But it's interesting because- I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that Rob's character, uh, Chris Traeger, was somewhat based on how people perceived you. Is that is that true? I would say there are very sort of 
uh, bits and pieces. So, cause I would say, I would credit a lot of it to Mike Shore who came in and was like, what if he's like kind of a health nut and, you know, very positive and all this stuff. But certainly I did a few things in the room that I think were probably fairly annoying to people, but I was, I was always a pretty upbeat person, but I, I had an office that adjoined the writer's room, which is like a big area with couches where people sit around, pitch ideas for the show. And I'm a very active person. I like to walk around, I like to walk in circles. I, I just need to burn off energy. I put up a pull-up bar in my office door. And again, I'm retroactively apologize to the. Why don't you in the just room. put up a sign that but, says "Don't like me"? But but I would do I would do pull ups <laughs> all day on the pull up bar. Oh my which god! Is, which is really like I it's I know it's annoying. So but by the way, I continue shirtless. Were you shirtless? <laughs> well then, well at a certain point, you know. So we we kind of put that in the show as something that Rob Lowe's character did, and then at a certain point, Chris Pratt was training to do you know Zero Dark Thirty and yeah. Jurassic World and Guardians and all this stuff, and then he would come in and sometimes do pull ups on it. So we had I, again, this is kind of antithetical, I think, to a lot of writers' rooms where it's like, how much can I lie down and how many snacks can yes, I eat? Yes, this so. goes against. I mean, every writers' room. Yeah. I think things have probably changed. I know they've changed, but uh, in my era. And, and which encompasses almost three decades or over three decades, actually. It was always fried food, writers not moving or moving as little as possible. And then every five or six years, one of the writers would get their cholesterol checked and go through a health phase for a month yeah. and then go right back to the fried food. Yeah. <laughs> I never did pull-ups. Um, you need muscles in your upper body uh, this is, technically to do a pull-up. That's what's always discouraged me from doing it. This is the worst superhero origin story ever is like a, a meaningless superhero. So when I was a kid, I couldn't do any pull-ups. Like I was, my upper body might be hard for you to believe, was very weak. I was very skinny. <laughs> I was like 50 pounds. I was like four foot nothing. Uh -huh. I think just to become normal, I had to try to start like lifting weights and working out a little bit. Again, Conan's looking at me right now. I am not a big man. I'm probably 140 pounds, but but what I, I got- You fainted three times just walking to the podcast yeah, studio. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm we a, had to bring you around with smelling salts. I'm pretty slight, but no, I got, I got the pull-up bar. I literally like, I, you know, it's like, okay, now I want to work my way up. So I do a hundred a day. That's good. That's, fanta that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. Like, uh, you know, I went from zero. You ever do, uh, remember what Robert De Niro did in Cape Fear when he's upside down and he's, uh, he's doing these crunches hanging upside down from a rod or early, he's suspended yes. in his apartment alone. Yes. And he has all these crazy tattoos. I do that. And I do all of the attempted murdering. So I do. <laughs> Which burns a lot of calories. Yeah. That's, you know, attempted yeah. murder burns more calories than murder. Yeah, it's the running around. It's the missing. It's a lot of <laughs> swinging and missing. That really gets you shredded, man. Failing to kill someone burns 1,500 more calories that's than actually killing them. Hiding under people's cars, like sneaking under their boats. It's really, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my next workout. That's my next thing, man. He clung to a car that drove like 800 miles to the bottom of a car. You're holding on tight, man. Yeah. Yeah. Isometric, isometric. Every exercise. time I see that movie, and it's a fantastic movie, uh, Cape Fear, starring with the, the Robert De Niro Scorsese version, but whenever he climbs underneath the car and just decides to hang on to it for 800 miles, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Nick Nolte's driving over those things that prevent you from backing up yeah. out of a parking lot without paying. You could, He's just getting shredded. You could splice in little <laughs> clips of him driving over increasingly high <laughs> slash sharp things. I think we should we do did. this a sketch. Oh, did it's so this? funny. No, we, I, when I was at The Simpsons, we did a Cape Fear parody. Yeah, and I remember, Bob. Uh, yeah, and Sideshow Bob clung underneath a car. And I don't remember, and I'm sure people right now are being like, oh, you totally, of course that's what happened. But I remember, I, I think... Uh, 
I think the family did probably drive over shit. Plagiarizing yourself. Yeah, plagiarizing yourself. I plagiarized an episode that I worked on, and and uh, there you go. Time to hang it up. It's time, time to, to hang it up. It up. <laughs> Trust me, it was time for me to hang it up in 2006. <laughs> but you'll see in show business, the joy is to keep hanging around long after no one wants you. That's the part I love. Yeah, um, the grim aftermath. There you go. We should call this the grim aftermath. I mean, O'Brien. Your next pod. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm still here with Conan O'Brien. <laughs> you know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Come 
not. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You've accomplished a great deal at a very young age. We have the same alma mater. We both uh, went to Harvard College. Uh, I graduated at 22 like a normal person. You majored in biology, wrote comedy for the Lampoon, and graduated at 19. How does one do that? I think I had turned 20. So, you know, look, I may have turned 20, but- I think your bio says 19, so someone's- <laughs> well, someone's fudging on my behalf that it wasn't me. But, but uh, yeah, I, I went to college young and- uh, How does one go to college young? Did you were, you, were you moved up a grade early on because you were- uh, I actually skipped senior year of high school. So it was probably, I don't know why I did this. So I went to, I grew up in Riverside, California, mm -hmm. and I went to a bunch of massive public schools. They weren't like the best academic schools in the world. You know, my, my, my high school is probably, you know, 2,500 kids or something. Right. And very, very diverse you know, socioeconomically. That's 2,500 kids in one classroom. In one, in English one. <laughs> English 101. It's a big auditorium. Everyone has headphones. <laughs> it would just throw ground beef yeah. into, into, into the aisles to feed everyone. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're, you basically got a better education if you sat towards the front because you could hear the teacher. Yeah. But, but no, it was it, so, so near the end of my high school, was, my counselor was just like, uh, you're running out of classes. Like you don't have, you, you don't have like, math and science classes to take so they're like one option is you could apply to college and just take your tests and stuff so i was really torn because I, I liked high school and you know I, I would miss my friends and stuff but i figured you know do i stay one more year and just take english and five electives or do i apply to college and just see no, what, you were what you were like someone who got drafted earlier in high <laughs> school and decided it's time to go pro it's basically me kevin garnett lebron james Kobe. Yes. yeah yeah got it so, got so, it so, so your no. name your name is always listed with them <laughs> it's the same the kind of guy same but when they talk about comedy right <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the weird part but but i was but i was scared so i applied to these colleges and i, I ended up getting to harvard and i was i was terrified i was yeah. terrified i was like these kids went to good schools they went to private schools and I got there, and my my fears were kind of upheld because I'm like, yeah, a lot of these kids know each other. They're like, they like know each other, and they're like doing. They all well. went to prep school yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. So so I was like, man, I'm a I'm a Taiwanese kid from Riverside, and 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 I I didn't know anyone there, so so I kind of just. I put my head down and tried to work, right? So I was like trying to do biology, whatever, doing working in labs. And then I was like, I got good grades freshman year. I was like, damn, I did it. And then I was like, 
I'm miserable still. Like, I, like, I don't want to do this for my life. Like, what else can I do? So, um, that was when I, I started pursuing other creative stuff. You know, I put, I played in a punk rock band and, you know, uh, we would tour around the Boston area and I tried to get on the Lampoon. And then when I got on the Lampoon, that, that really changed my life. Yeah. So I, I want to explore this for a second. Your parents are from Taiwan. Is that right? Yeah. They're immigrants. They're they're immigrants. And so what were their lives like in Taiwan? What was your dad's life like in Taiwan? So my dad grew up in a really, really small town, almost like a village. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Huwei in the English, English translation is Tiger Tail. And and it's, uh, he grew up really poor. So he grew up, uh, his mom uh, had three kids and his dad passed away when he was one. And so everyone in the sort of village told her to give him up for adoption because it's like, you can't take care of three kids. She worked at a sugar factory. So she worked on, she, she like made the bags that the sugar came in and uh, uh, she was stubborn. So she's like, I'm not giving up my youngest son. I'm keeping him. It turned out to be a good decision because my dad was a really bright kid. So he was really bright. Um, he grew up and, you know, he helped her out in the factory a little bit, but but he was really good at school. So he it, in Taiwan, it's all test-based. So he took a test and, like, at a certain point, he did really well in a test and he got to go to college. And so he not only went to college, then he went to medical school. So, like, this was all test-based in Taiwan. So he kind of he kind of helped out and took care of the family. You know, he even ended up moving to America. He met my mom in Taiwan. So my mom was, my, her family was a little better off, but, you know, still not not crazy. So they moved to America and, and they, they moved to the Bronx. So they moved to like a tiny apartment in the Bronx. And, and that's where my, you know, my dad and my mom had my sister. So um, all of this is chronicled in a movie that I directed called Tiger Tail, which, right. is, which is my dad's hometown. But um, it's, you know, it's just kind of a, a love letter to my family and, and an homage to some, uh, some Asian cinema as well, some Wong Kar-wai and Edward Yang and, and Ho Shao Shen. And so, um, yeah, because I just remember very distinctly my, my dad telling me those stories. And I would consider the fact that in one generation, he didn't have enough food to eat as a kid. And then the next thing you know, his son gets to uh, create TV shows and host well, podcasts, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is absurd. His son gets to sit with Conan and talk about his life, which is well, totally absurd. Yeah, but what's, absurd. Uh, no, to be fair, your dad, even when he was very poor and, and young, said one day, my son is going to have a podcast. One day, Team, team Coco, <laughs> Team Coco and Stitcher are going to come ringing at Alan's door. Uh, that's the dream of many immigrants is I want my, my child to have the podcast I couldn't have. Well, this begs the question, though, which, which does fascinate me. When immigrants come from great poverty and they come to this country and they have to figure it out and they have to, they have to make themselves and the this, this, this struggle is so, so difficult and the stakes are so high. And then their son uh, is accepted to you know, the oldest and one of the most prestigious colleges in the country and goes and is going to major in biology. What happens when you go to them and say, I've got a different idea now. Uh, I want to write comedic light situations for television. I want to be broken, unemployed in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I will give my parents credit for this. They hid their profound disappointment at the time when I told them. I mean, they, they, I told them, and again, you know, I was, I, again, like I said, I, you know, before I was younger, and I think they were like, look, let him get this out of his system, right? Let him be hungry for a while, and, and, and we'll see what happens. And, you know, my mom is really funny. My mom, you know, she's gone through her, her, her life arc is so interesting. She, she, you know, she, and my dad got divorced when, when I was like 15 or so. And she, uh, she was like, what do I do now? Like, what do I do? Like, I, you know, I came to this country, like, 
my English isn't the strongest, not fluent. And so she, she, she kind of put her head down and, and started learning. She went to, you know, junior college, she went to college and she ended up getting a teaching credential and, and she became a teacher. So she became like, like a high school teacher and, 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 and started teaching math and she, her thing with her students, she's a great teacher, but and she mm-hmm. recently retired, but she's a great teacher, but she would say like, this country is so easy. You have no idea. She's like, she's like, my kids don't even work that hard. They're all going to Harvard. <laughs> like they're all going to Harvard. She's like, that's your best college. That's the best you got. Like yeah. that's the best you have. So they kind of had a sense of humor about it, and they were like, I'm joking, but they were always so supportive. And I think really in the back of their minds, because I think they're at their core very, very open minded people. I think they were like, why did we come to this country? Except for the fact that our son would have the freedom to make a choice as stupid as this, right? It's like make sure. that choice and 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 try. And I think they were. I think they're actually weirdly kind of I, they didn't say anything at the time because they, they they would never say this in person but they were i think they were kind of weirdly proud that i was taking the chance and and yes, so i'm sure they um, are i mean yeah. it's worked out so well yeah. you know i go back to this idea because you're doing good work and and sometimes i've encountered people that have said to me really you went to you went to this really good school and you know why aren't you off curing cancer and i think well first of all i didn't have that brain so it's not that there was a cancer cure out there I could have figured out yep. and, and supplied it. Uh, and second of all, there are plenty of people that graduate from these highfalutin schools that go out and invent napalm and stuff. <laughs> or come up I with- I like that counterfactual. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not Ted Kaczynski. I'm not the Unabomber. Yeah, Be I mean, lucky, you feel yeah. lucky, you know? Or I, you know, I didn't figure out a, a way, I didn't invent fracking. There, there are yeah. plenty of- uh, and so, um, you know, that's you know, the bar, supervillain. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but yeah. the, all the good supervillains went to Ivy League schools. Yeah, they really, if you look it up, that's true. That's yeah, true. yeah. Doctor Evil went to Brown. Well, the same guy who played Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> played Lex Luthor, right? <laughs> it's like that's not a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I always notice when people. They're not just flailing around saying, I wrote for these 35 terrible shows before I started writing for good shows, when people sort of have a sense of where they might fit in. So the Parks and Rec gig, was that was that the first show where you felt like, yes, I fit into this world? It, it was extraordinary to get that job, number one. And number two, it definitely felt like, wow, it, it's a great fit. I'm learning a lot. And- I credit Mike and Greg. I mean, you know those guys really well. It, they really look at it as a place, a, sta- a writing staff as a place where they can nurture younger writers and guide them and teach them. And that is where I learned so much. And I talk about that, you know, with Aziz all the time. It's like, man, thank God we got a show when we were 30 instead of 24 or whatever. And, 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 Learn and worked on 100 episodes of TV. You know, I it's like I started as a staff writer, which for those of you who don't know, that's like a first year writer essentially. Yep. And and you know, by the end of the show, Mike let me run the room sometimes. I directed episodes, I helped edit, I, you know, all that stuff. And then you get to make your own show. You're not quite as lost. You're still lost because you don't know what it's like to to, to be the actual boss. But you man, know, that helps. There a lot. are different man, kinds of showrunners out there. Um, I mean, it's one of the things I always loved about Sound Out Live is that. Lauren would say, you're in charge of the sketch. I know you're 23 or 24 years old and you just got here and you know nothing, but you thought of the sketch. So you're, it's up to you to go talk to wardrobe. It's up to you to talk to the set designers. It's up to you to watch the blocking of it. It's up to you to check out the props. And I thought, this is insane. None <laughs> of us know any, but it was- You're um, a producer now. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. You're Jump, a producer. And, and they'd throw you in the water and say, you're either going to drown or you're going to swim. And- um, 
I thought when you give someone a ton of responsibility and says it's your it's yours to fuck up or be a hero, it's amazing how quickly you can grow yeah. if you're determined to make it. And hopefully you're the right person, right? Because like that's that's but they, but they, by them giving you that confidence, it's it's kind of self perpetuating in some ways. I remember being on set of Parks and Rec, and I was there. It was probably my second or third episode that I'd written, and I was there with Dean Holland, who was an editor on the show, but then started directing. So it was his second episode, and we didn't. There was some problem we didn't know how to solve, and we looked around. No one was. Mike wasn't there. Greg wasn't there. Morgan Sackett, the line producer, wasn't there. We're like, this is it, man. You and me got to figure this out. And we just do it. And the same thing happened on Masters. Like, me and Aziz look around. We're the, we're the dads. We're the mom and dad of the show, right? We're going to do it. So, so, so let me ask you it. about this, because you're working on Parks and Rec, and then you gravitate, obviously, to Aziz. And it's funny, because you guys have, you have a similar energy to Aziz, you know? <laughs> In some ways. In some, no, yeah. Yeah, but like yeah. you guys, there's a, there's a certain, yeah. um, uh, I, I see it. I yeah. see how... Um, there's like a faux cockiness to this to the <laughs> sense of humor, which can be really enjoyable and fun. Yeah. And you gravitate towards Aziz, and then you guys find your way into making Masters of None, and that ends up being sort of this pitch perfect show. And I do think that show, uh, you know, it, it was a good fit with Netflix too, because Netflix had had three shows. It had a uh, when we pitched to Netflix, they had House of Cards, they had Orange Is the New Black, and they had that show Lilyhammer. Which was about a, a gangster in Norway. It was yeah. a Steve Van Zant show. Yeah. Um, so that was the p- show I pitched. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was. I was like, you know what, America wants to see Steve Van Zant in Norway. <laughs> I mean, and, it's actually, uh, pretty good hit rate. Two out of three, we like made it. <laughs> I still consider that show a hit, and uh, the money's just pouring in. I mean, that, that's sixty-six dollars I made last year. Most of their show. market cap, right? Ted Sarandos still calls <laughs> you about Lilyhammer. Can we get the Lilyhammer reboot? <laughs> what about a gritty Lilyhammer re- reboot? What if it's a Norwegian? gangster who, in new york city i want to ask who watched Lilyhammer? did anyone oh, i never checked it out i just saw it. a scowling steve van zant who i knew from the sopranos and from the east street band scowling in a snowbank and it just said Lilyhammer. and i get, never checked it out you're gonna get so many angry Lilyhammer fans the hammerheads are gonna come after you man. the <laughs> hammerheads are coming for you they're gonna come after you uh no but it, it was and so bring it on i say so bring it on weirdly we got lucky because we were we were talking about master no and and, and we were gonna make the show netflix bought it we were so excited we we're gonna make the show and then parks and rec got picked up for another season so got par- picked up for its final season, essentially. And we were kind of bummed because we we're like, oh, we, well, we were going to go do our own show. Netflix was cool about it. They said, just it's OK. You put a pin in it. So we went and worked on Parks for a season. But during that whole time, we were just freaking out because we were like, oh, my God, we have this show. And to be totally honest, the show we pitched to Netflix was completely different. Right. It was it was Aziz. It was like, you know, kind of more of a normal show. And, and it was just like a, a comedy, a standard show, like maybe he's dating, whatever. And then we started panicking and we said, Oh my God, we're going to get to make the show. Parks was ending. Parks was ending. But is this the show we want to make? It's just a normal ass show. Like, could it be better? Like, and we really pushed ourselves. And that was when, you know, we took a trip to New York and, and, and we're walking around just racking our brains, being like, oh my God, we got pressure on us. We got to make this show. And we went back to our hotel room. We were, we were talking about the show. And, and, and you know, I, I kind of talked to my dad, who, who I alluded to earlier. He's like, man, he didn't even have enough food to eat as a kid. Like, you know, he had pets. He had pet chickens. And, and he killed the chickens and ate them for dinner. That, and it made him really sad. And he's like, is that story really true? And I was like, yeah, man. Like, he lived in a hut like the size of the corner of this room. And he's like, forget everything we're talking about. Let's just make that show. I don't care about my life in New York City eating at good restaurants. Like, that's actually interesting. Yes. So that became the second episode of the show. And we're, that really sort of broke open in terms of 
any episode could be about anything. You know, I'm curious about, because now with, uh, with, the, with the Parks and Rec podcast, you're looking back at shows and you're a very young guy, especially from, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, you're a young, very young man. But uh, from my perspective, you know, you're a fetus. Uh, <laughs> I'm the <laughs> oldest guy in the writer's room right now. No, I, I'm, very, I'm close to it. I'm close you're to a it very now. charming and yeah. sharp fetus. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think you're going places, fetus. But, uh, but we've been through like six I feel like six cultural revolutions yeah. just in the last five years. Last three months. Yeah, and then you, <laughs> and then you look at uh, TV shows from 10, 15 years ago, and you must already be seeing things where you think, well, we wouldn't do that today. Yeah, man, in, in multiple episodes, Polar's character asks Aziz if he's Libyan. He's like, no, I'm Indian. It's like, right. you can't do that. He's like, I'm Indian from South Carolina. There's tons of stuff you would never do today. There's tons of stuff that like, but by the way, like, I think some things to me fall in the category of like, yeah, I don't want to watch that anymore, right? Like, there's d- tons of stuff where it's like, I don't think I can watch that anymore. Parks, for me, when I watch it, it's like, yeah, there's the odd joke every few episodes. Like, I don't think that would, that would fly in 2021. But for the most part, it's like, you know, it's a pretty warm show. <laughs> it's pretty diverse. And like, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's in, the right, it's in the right place. And I'm not just saying that because I worked on it, but... It, 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 it you're is, saying it because you're doing a podcast I'm, now about I'm, it. I'm doing a, I'm doing a rewatch <laughs> podcast. I'm sitting with Team Coco's people <laughs> talking about trying to monetize it again. No, no. Yeah. It, it's basically, um, you know, it, it, it really is what you said, which is all the, I mean, look at, you look at Airplane, you look at Blazing Saddles, you go even further back, you look at stuff like, are we not going to watch Billy Wilder? Are we not going to watch, you know, what, however far back you want to go. It, again, it's all context. There right? was it's a, all context. There was a piece the other day in the New York Times that really stunned me because the um, I think the the headline was in the art section was which classic classical paintings or paintings from the Renaissance era should get a pass. <laughs> oh and wow! I, and, and I and I said I thought what? Yeah. That, I don't know, that flipped me out. But, and, it, it, but to be fair, like most things, I didn't read it. So <laughs> you, skip, you read the subhead. You're like, well, you know what? It's worth bringing up with Alan, though. <laughs> no, I'll bring it up with Alan. And, and look, maybe it goes on to say really brilliant things and I wasn't paying attention. I just want people to know, I read the headlines of the New York Times pieces, but who has time to read all that stuff? I guess the takeaway is Conan doesn't want you to look at Botticelli anymore. You can't look at it. <laughs> I just don't. It's over. I just think it's offensive. It's over. No birth of Venus. (laughs) (laughs) Done so. I just think it objectifies Venus. Just put this, close that shell up. Close that shell up. You have um, the misfortune slash fortune of uh, being the writer who wrote the iconic Treat Yourself episode of Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember that episode and I remember it also you know, feeling like, oh yeah, that's going to be a catchphrase. <laughs> and then it became a catchphrase. Uh, and it's a mixed blessing, probably not as much for you, but for Aziz walking for around. Aziz and Retta, man. And again, when when you say I wrote, I put in quote and wrote in quotes because my name might be on that episode, but everyone pitches for every episode. And I don't even know who came up with Treat Yourself. Like I, I credit, I attribute that to the room. So, but I will say it is wild to walk around like Trader Joe's and it says Treat Yourself. And then I'm sure Aziz and Retta, when they walk around and, and, and move through the world, 
they get it a lot because right. it's like what what was that not even it wasn't a thing before the show right like it wasn't really a thing it was you're asking I'm you know I, I don't even <laughs> I just read the headlines of the newspapers so I <laughs> we had the, the New York Times had a piece about it before uh, until the New York Times has a headline about it uh, that that explains itself completely in the headline I can't help you no but I do think that's there's an interesting thing for there to become like a catchphrase out of it. I talked about it with Rob a little bit where his character had literally right so like his character people would say literally to him now so it's like okay well that's his it's a it's a it's a gift and a curse right it's a it can be a burden on you hey but, but. mine i don't know when i said this but when i walk around people say you suck and <laughs> well, i guess that was my catchphrase at one point you gotta own it it's a legendary it was <laughs> i know you mainly for you suck and masturbating bear the legendary you suck Go on, you suck shuverine masturbating bear and you suck <laughs> ah, shuverine those were good times um this was really fun uh i i I admire you. I think you're a really nice, talented guy, and I'm I'm happy that you're out there uh, making good stuff. It just uh, it fills me with delight. So thanks for hanging with me, and thanks for you know. Many of us don't want to sit next to Rob Lowe because we just look like those plastic turds that you could buy as a practical joke. Yeah. Um, you're a good man. You're a good man. I'm taking see. the bullet for all those normal looking guys, man. I'm taking let's that bullet. Let's get a two shot. Normal looking. Eh. Let's get Alan Yang and Rob Lowe in a two shot and see which way the camera goes. Actually, you clean up pretty nice. Yeah. So I think you do all right. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I just tricked you into complimenting yourself. You know, I, thank you so much for having me. You know, so uh, we'll see. We'll see if we'll still remain friends. A lot of beaches out there, but only one beach is the beach. Why did your voice change? You heard me. Only one beach is the beach. <laughs> Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Say it with me. Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach. Mer- you didn't. That's just oh, a phrase. Sorry. You don't have to say it with okay. me. Uh, Myrtle Beach is 60 miles where you belong. Can you believe that? Everyone always talks about Myrtle Beach being the best beach. So much so that people refer to it as the beach. Yeah. The beach is where your best self comes out. Myrtle Beach has 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline and endless things to do on your trip. You love to eat, oh, do ya? Yeah. Oh, I know the answer to that one. There are over 2,000 restaurants serving up fresh seafood, southern classics, and low country cuisine. Love music? Who doesn't? Live music is the soundtrack to the beach, or as I call it, the beach. <laughs> There's live music every night of the week, all year round. Plan your trip to the beach at visitmyrtlebeach.com. You know, it's only a matter of time until your check engine light comes on, which could equal an expensive repair bill, and a new engine can cost up to $6,000. Don't I know it. But this is why you need this product I'm about to mention right now. Okay. CarShield. CarShield offers plans with low monthly rates that you can pay for your expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. It's so nice to have that protection of CarShield. I know. I believe. That's my belief. Some people have other beliefs, maybe religious beliefs. I think Car Shield. Car Shield plans provide protection on up to 5,000 major parts and systems, including items like transmission, mm. engine, even your entertainment system. Mm. Just call Car Shield and choose the mechanic to do the work. Car Shield administrators will handle the rest and save you money. Look, I saw your car today. You've got a beautiful car, but you've got to haul your family around in this yeah. car. 
This is a vital piece of machinery for you. You need Car Shield. I do. And you know, I you know I don't take care of my cars very well. So Car Shield it would definitely come in. You know, and also with their A rating from the BBB, don't ask me, Car Shield is the name you can trust to save you money on covered auto repairs. Now's the time to make the smart choice and protect yourself from the sky high auto repair bills. Visit carshield.com slash Conan. Save 20% today. Again, that's carshield.com slash Conan to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash Conan to lock in your price today. Well, last episode, David, you kind of, you're a youth with your finger on the pulse, right? <laughs> and you helped us understand a little bit about what TikTok is. Team Coco now has a TikTok. It's at Team Coco on TikTok. And you're going to... And by the way, I'm going to be really honest with people listening. I didn't even know this. <laughs> this is... I didn't this, this is how out of touch I am. Uh, in the end, they say Howard Hughes really didn't understand what was happening in his business because um, he was uh, naked, sitting in a reclining chair, watching the same movie over and over and over again and being attended to by Mormons and collecting his urine. I'm at that stage. Yeah, he I'm is naked at, right now. We I am mention. naked. I have jars of urine around me. Mormons attend to me and I'm watching Ice Station Zebra again and again yeah, and again. I just watched that. I'm sure you did. And, um, and I'm a crazy germaphobe with really long fingernails. And that's the stage I'm at. And now I'm being told that I have, uh, at Team Coco, I have a TikTok account. And that you say it's blowing up. Yeah, you're doing really well. Okay, I mean, I'm not. Whether or not you know it. No, no, please. I. Uh, it's it's just stunning to me. And as I said in the last installment, I thought TikTok meant people singing, lip syncing, mm -hmm. and dancing around and making fools of themselves and posting it and embarrassing their children. And you say that is a chunk of TikTok, but that there's so much more to it. A lot more, yeah. You're gonna take us through some of those. Yeah, now, show, right? us some, show us some of your, are these TikToks you've made? Yeah, so I had started to, you know, like I said, I was super addicted to it. And then I had posted a video from the Madame Tussauds Wax Museum that did really well. So then they invited me to come back to the museum to take more TikToks. So I think that wow. this next one is a video of the Kylie Jenner. So this figure. little curation is like the first ever on podcast TikTok film festival, basically. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay, so wow. I'm, this is fascinating. So you're going to play us now. This is Madame Tussauds, mm -hmm. and you went there. And who are we looking at here? This is going to be Kylie Jenner. And which Jenner is that? I don't know. There's like the, 75 Jenner. The youngest one, the one who's like a billionaire. Uh, um, no, she's not a billionaire. Is she not? I no, they, didn't they expose that uh, oh. she, let's just say they monkeyed around with uh the numbers there. She's oh, still doing no. really well, though. No. She only has like $22,000 in the bank. Wow. This is true. And then Whoa. the mom, um, Chris. You know, and, yeah, Chris manipulated the numbers and said it was a billion and, uh, and the Forbes list fell for it. Wow. But she only has $22,000 in the bank and they just repossessed her, uh, her old Dodge. I know. And I saw she's pregnant again. So that's Bad timing. Yeah. Oh, just, I, I mean, really you just heard it here generous. first, but she's really got next to nothing. That's um, an exclusive. Yeah, yeah, it's an exclusive. Yeah. She's, she lives in a, she's one of nine people that lives in a studio apartment. Uh, in, uh, in a TikTok mansion. In a TikTok mansion. Okay. Wait, get us up to speed. How many views does this video have and how many followers do you have on TikTok? I think I have 126,000 wow. followers and this one got. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How many did you say that I had? Uh -oh. 
You have 158,000. Wait a minute. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. You just told me, Conan, you're killing it on YouTube. You've got 158,000. My assistant in the room mm-hmm. has almost the same number. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's this impressive. is not me. This is not me putting you down, but it's absurd. I am an entertainer uh-huh. who's been working in one capacity or another to entertain America and the world mm-hmm. for well over three decades. Sure. And, and how old are you? 29. A 29-year-old can come in and say, oh, I like this platform too. And let me give it a try. Oh, look, as many as Conan O'Brien, a man who, if I lived in England, would have been knighted by now. <laughs> you also only have $22,000 in the bank, though. I know. I, yeah. well, I made really crazy investments. It's my fault. <laughs> Theme restaurants. It's my weakness. Um, so, uh, well, congratulations, David. Thank You're doing you. really well. And so show us this TikTok yeah, and so, tell us about it. So this one got... Over one and a half million views. Jesus. What? Good God. What are these people, people doing? really liked the, the Kylie Jenner wax figure. Okay, so explain what we're about to see. Okay, so it's the Kylie Jenner wax figure, and then a whole part of TikTok, too, is figuring out the best audio to put behind it. So I had seen a video clip of Kylie singing, so I saved that audio and then used it for this. I'm gonna get wasted. I just finished a whole cup of 42, and I'm about to go for my second one. Courtney, what the f- are you on? I don't know. What. That's me with Kylie for a second. Wait, that's it? That's it? Uh-huh. That's all it is? Is you took a, mm-hmm. a video of a Kylie Jenner wax figure, mm-hmm. and then your big contribution was to add a song that's out there of her singing mm-hmm. to it, and it lasts, I think, six seconds? Because nobody can figure out the TikTok algorithm. So sometimes it works in your favor. That one just got sent out to a bunch of people. And then you peek in at the end. Of course, you're wearing a mask. She is not. You know, she's not. The wax statue is rife with COVID. The wax statue is made of solid COVID and some wax. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and that got how many? Uh, a million and a half people? Uh-huh. And uh, then, like, one of the ones I did, it was, like, a whole um, view of, like, the entire floor of the wax museum. And so part of TikTok, too, is you can do video replies to comments. So someone saw your wax figure. So then I tried to get the same success with Kylie oh, out of yours. Let's Give me see. Six. And I had someone had posted a clip of you and I on the show, so I used that audio. Friend of the show, working. Come on in, David. Ah! Uh, oh my god! <laughs> I forgot that there's a wax statue of me. Oh my god! That one didn't do as well as Kylie. <laughs> Jesus! Thanks a lot, David. But, so you bring it up, and then uh, with the minute you get me to bite, <laughs> you dump. A giant bucket of manure on me. How many views did that one get? I don't, I think like a thousand, maybe two thousand. A thousand? Wait, what? what? As opposed to a million and a half? See, that's the thing. Not Nobody knows how it works. So I don't no, know why. No, I think we know how I it works. I don't know why that one didn't I get think, sent out. Oh, no, oh, part yeah, of it big, is that that wax statue looks like Larry King. It doesn't terrifying. even look like you. Yeah, it's Larry King with an orange wig. <laughs> oh, see, so that's an easy idea, though, that you could do, because you can just reply. Like, I just replied to that person's comment. You could go and reply to people's comments. No, I'm not going to reply to. I'm not going to engage in this. I was just humiliated and I had nothing to do with it. I did nothing. You followed up a very wildly successful Kylie Jenner TikTok mm-hmm. by shooting my wax statue. And instead of getting a million and a half, which is what Kylie got, I got a thousand. That's not my fault. <laughs> you did this to me. You put me out there. 
And then you shamed me. Mm-hmm. I've been made, you made a fool out of me. Honey. And he did it all on your time. So sorry. Yeah. And, and on the, your dime. I love this. <laughs> While you were destroying my credibility, you were being paid by me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. You funded your own shame. This my is an amazing shame. coup. This is, uh, wow. This is, I cannot, I don't understand any of it. I'll, I'm very, I don't understand. I don't understand and I'm very worried yeah. Other people are worried about things that I think are legitimate, you know, global warming and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just uh, the polarization of our country. I'm worried about this now. I think this is going to destroy us. Because everyone's just- going down. Everyone's just walking around. You're just walking around, sh- and, and everyone is, I guess, shooting their water bottle and then and, and, and putting like a Three Stooges track to it. For eight <laughs> seconds, and it gets seven million views. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, no one's manning the cash registers. No one's growing the food. <laughs> no one's driving the trucks. No one's doing anything. Yeah, how do you feel, David, about ushering in the decline of civilization? Well, here's the thing. I did post a video about being that uh, you had me on the podcast, and Melissa Joan Hart liked it and then followed me. So I'm fine with it because I got that <laughs> follow from Melissa Joan Hart. Wait, Melissa Joan Hart is... Following you? Yeah, if you look at it, it says that we're friends now. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I've tried to be her friend for years. She's at my place right now. (laughs) This is ridiculous. And she commented, she must listen because then she commented on something that she was going to Disney with her family. Okay, so. (sighs) You're so depressed, right? I'm so depressed. (laughs) Oh, I just. It's over. It's over. It's over for me. David, why not, why am it's I It's not. We're going to we're going to get you on here. No. Why Here's the question. Why isn't this um hey there with David Hopping and I'm your sidekick. This is all backwards. Yeah. I'm an old wretched fool who doesn't know what's happening. Don't say My that. wax I'm going to say it. My <laughs> wax statue got a thousand a thousand a thousand. <laughs> Likes is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. Likes views. Yeah. And and what? And I don't even want to know what the comments are. I'm sure they are dreadful. That's crazy to think that that David's TikTok of Kylie Jenner got a metropolitan area's worth of people, and yours got a small high school that sat down in an assembly and watched <laughs> that TikTok video. Do you want to describe this in more detail, Matt? <laughs> you just you satisfied with that? Uh, this is. <laughs> I am being very honest with everyone listening right now. I'm shattered. Uh, this is a this is a watershed moment for me. You know, uh, the the talk show. I I left the talk show. I thought with some grace and aplomb, and uh, and now just weeks later, I'm being forced to realize that uh, David Hopping is a superstar, and. Um, I am an old husk, dried out husk, lying in the on a dirt road, crumbling in the wind. But everyone should follow you on Yes. Talk at Team yes. Coco. Follow me at Team Coco. <laughs> hey, if you want more drawing husk, follow me at Team Coco. <laughs> you guys you should put up a TikTok of just a husk in the wind. <laughs> Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, with Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. 
Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.